Welcome to the 206.com podcast. I am your host, Mark Morin, and you are listening to Diversity in Film, a 206 podcast series. This podcast series features in-depth interviews with filmmakers and industry experts discussing the topic of diversity in film. Look for episodes featuring director and activist Lin Chen, director and producer Emily Ting, executive director of the Northwest Film Forum, Vivian Hua, rapper Lex the Lexicon Artist, podcast host and film critic Isabella L. Price, world-renowned Disney film producer Don Hahn, director of marketing for Smart House Creative Amy Simon, film critic and podcaster The People's Critic Tim Hall, lifestyle blogger and film critic Aaron Hunley, actor, activist, and model Anna Lynn McCord. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. Let's get to the interview. is Mark Morin with 206.com and I am here with the one and only, the beautiful, the talented Isabella Price. Hello, Isabella. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So we're here on a podcast episode at 206.com podcast and we are going to be talking about a few different things, primarily diversity in film. But first, for myself and for all the listeners, tell me who is Isabella Price? So, I'm Isabella L. Price, and I am a host of Nocturnal Emissions, which is a podcast, a live show, a YouTube channel, and it's basically all things kind of horror-related, but related to gender, sexuality, race, and so it's kind of critical horror thinking, the history of horror movies, things like that, as a podcast where I talk to people about different kind of topics in the horror field and I have a live show once a month at the Northwest Film Forum where we show horror movies and then we have a live performance, drag, burlesque, sideshow, trivia, things like that. Just wanted to get a few brief thoughts on like what do you feel about the Oscars coming up? What does the Oscars mean to you? I'll be very honest like I'm I'm not that involved with the Oscars as I was in previous years. I think maybe in the last three years I have not tuned in as much as I really used to. I used to be so, used to have a watch party, used to do like a whole thing where I'd have a ballot and I'd run through the whole thing and you know, all this stuff. And ever since, I think it was like when Moonlight won, I was so... I was, I was like, all right, I'm done with this whole thing. I'm, I'm so over this whole industry. I'm over with this whole thing. And I did not care anymore. I, I think that there was this conversation that happened online. And forgive me, I cannot remember the name of the person who created it, but it was a hashtag called Oscars So White. And it's this conversation about the overwhelming whiteness of the Oscars, both the films that get nominated and also the voting party and they've been doing more initiatives over the past couple of years to try to get to where the oscars you know the people that voting that vote the voting party that they're made of more of a diverse background but it's done very little because it's a multi-prong issue it's it's not just the voting academy it's also the films that are getting produced 
the types of films that are nominated all know what an Oscar bait movie is. <laughs> right. And those movies are like very rarely ever movies by black and brown people unless it's like a movie about slavery because the academy loves slavery they love <laughs> movies about slavery yeah and it's super problematic which is why like this year harriet has been nominated for so many things and yeah. other movies by black auteurs and filmmakers have not and that's not surprising to me in the least because it's such a multi-dimensional issue. And when people talk about it, they talk about like, okay, well, why do we even need the Oscars? What, do we, what does it even matter? What, is, what does it matter? And it's, it matters a lot. When a film gets nominated and wins an Oscar, that movie can then go on to get bigger distribution overseas, which means the movie gets bigger returns, which means that the film is lauded as being more of a financial success, which means that filmmaker can go on and make more films. There is a whole industry, a financial industry behind the Oscars. It's not just about getting a trophy. It's also about the economics behind which films get funded, what films get distributed, and how those films are seen, how the filmmaker is seen as a business owner. And it's rigged. I mean, I hate to say it. I know that's like a dirty secret that we're not supposed to say. But <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's very true. And I it's think it's, it's, it's in this last couple of years that there has been the talk of the Oscars so white hashtag and all of the conversations about the lack of diversity. You're totally right. There have been some things that have changed, but it's nowhere near enough. I mean, you look at the nominations, you look at the winners, it's still an issue. And I know a whole bunch of people of color, different ethnic backgrounds, genders, everything. There was a big splash of like, okay, all of these people are now in the voting academy. But then when you really broke it down, it was still such a small percentage. So, right. no, I totally agree with you. As soon as I saw 1917, I was like, best picture. I, yeah. I knew, I knew. I was like, this it's a yeah. grandpa movie. Your dad's yeah. going to love it. I just it's knew war. it. It's war. war. Yeah. No, it, I knew that movie was going to win best picture, even though yeah. it should definitely go to Parasite and I will die on that hill. <laughs> Parasite should win best, best picture. It, it was, it's the, the best filmmaking as yeah. a film everything acting writing direction cinematography special effects you know because they yeah. all that stuff is built on a green screen which is wild right it's the best film i've ever i've, I've not ever seen but of this year. Yeah, you're right. Just the everything that went into the filmmaking was phenomenal. And that's the, the sad thing about it is the Oscars, the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, all that. They always have that foreign language film. And yeah. what did the BAFTAs call it? Something else. Like It was so dumb. Movie that's not in the English yeah. language or something like that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what? <laughs> what is that? It's no, the man, worst title. A, yeah, but it's an easy out for them to be able to say, okay, well, we'll give them that one so that yeah. we don't have to give them the real one. Just so, it's like, who made that rule? Why? Why Why do that? I mean, like, why not just give it to the best film, no matter where that film comes from? I don't understand why we have to do this thing where it's like the English language is superior <laughs> to these other films. Right, exactly. It, well, it that, that's part of the racist aspect yeah. of it. And, and exactly. a lot of it is just, it's all the money-making machine and keeping that money in certain pockets. 
Yes. That's what that does, is really yes. what it's for. When you see those Best Picture nominations and the awards given out, and even, you know, Brad Pitt, he by absolutely no means, in my opinion, deserves all these awards for his performance <laughs> in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would say it's like his 10th best wow. acting performance Wow, I'm shocked to hear that. I'm, I'm shocked. I, of anybody that I would have assumed would have been sucking the toes of Brad Pitt, <laughs> it would have been even No, his, his performance in Inglorious Bastards, a hundred times better than, than oh. he really was he's just kind of in the movie being Brad Pitt yeah that's all he was doing but because he's Brad Pitt that automatically oh let's honor Brad Pitt this year we're gonna give him everything I mean he did look very good he was in very good, good shape <laughs> which like congrats but also right, exactly. it, it was there is under- that you know, it was it was an underwhelming performance for me. I think that not not to get too deep into it, but Tarantino sure. lost his longtime editor. You know, and I feel like the quality of his films have just kind of meandered. And you know, of he's it. got a four-hour cut of the movie, right? Good God! That he's going to release at some point. Good God! I'm not surprised <laughs> by that whatsoever. I and I'll tell through- you, I thought the movie as is is too long. I think it should be at least a half hour shorter. Yes, that's what I'm saying. He's a madman and he needs to be stopped. <laughs> okay, I sat through that the 70 millimeter full cut of The Hateful Eight. Oh, and yeah. by the end of that movie, I was like, let's find this man. He is a war criminal. Oh, I no. want to break his legs. That movie was excruciatingly long so long and i'm See, not he's, surprised he's just that. misunderstood that's all it is oh shut up mark <laughs> <laughs> this conversation's over <laughs> what do you see as the biggest issues and uh, areas of opportunity that you face because you're a filmmaker you know and you deal a lot with the film industry and all of that like what does that look like to you personally I mean, it's still largely a boys club, you know, it's still seen as films are risky to make. Every film is a risk to make. There's no guarantee that your film is going to be a financial success no matter what. I mean, God, I just a couple weeks ago saw Doolittle, which you think would kind of be slated for being a financial success. It's got Robert Downey Jr. in it. It has so many celebrities doing the voices for it. And that movie was awful. And it was a gigantic (laughs) financial risk. And they lost so much money money making that dumb movie but saying that it doesn't matter how successful you are as a black or female filmmaker you're always seen as being the hugest financial risk it's always seen as being like well you know there's just no other precedent for movies like this and there's nobody else that's making these kinds of movies and people are less likely to take a risk and the conversation always comes to who are we going to market this movie to you know who does this movie go to can we market this movie overseas the overseas market has become more of a conversation in the past I'd say probably 10 years uh, where you have to think about marketing the movie overseas and there becomes this conversation of like well can we sell this movie to Chinese audiences or is the Japanese or the Korean market are they going to want to watch a movie with a bunch of black people in it and it's just like you didn't have this conversation who's the market for the lighthouse like, <laughs> right, exactly. is there is there a huge Chinese <laughs> audience for sea shanties? I, I don't think so. It does seem like quite the niche as well. So yeah. yeah. Now, you a know? good example of what you're talking about, in my opinion, was Queen and Slim. Yeah. 
you know, that was a fantastic movie and it got like no audience whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I think that they were, that movie was really complicated because of the fact that the filmmakers behind it had had some controversies before that movie came out. And then I think that that movie, it also reminds me of The Hate You Give, where they were just like, who do we market this movie to? Which is right. so wild because like black people go see movies, like black people go see movies <laughs> a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so, absolutely. you know, this idea that you always have to appeal to the mass market, the mass market, which is another term for white, the mainstream audience, the mass audience. It's just like, well, just say like, you just want this movie to go to white people. It's such a double standard because even movies that are marketed I think of, um, oh my God, what was the name of that movie? Was it called The Finch or something like that? It was an Amazon Studios movie and it was about this guy who, there was like a terrorist attack in a museum and his family died and then he got this work of art. Do you remember, do you know what movie I'm talking about? Vaguely, I can't think of the title though. Oh man, it was the Let's whitest movie. <laughs> the trailer, I cannot remember the name of it, but it was the whitest trailer I'd ever seen in my entire okay. life where I was like, oh, this movie is clearly marketed towards six white people yeah. who all live in upstate New York. Like it was, <laughs> it was a very, but that conversation had never been posed before. It had never been posed like, okay, who, who are we marketing this audience towards? And when it comes to the Oscars, it's so frustrating because there is this sort of Oscar worthiness that happens, this conversation of what is a movie that's worth of being nominated by the Oscars, which right. I think is an asinine conversation. I was just reading this thing in Variety or The Hollywood Reporter, the trades as people in the industry call them. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Sounds so pretentious. But where they were talking about not nominating Uncut Gems because it's not an Oscar-worthy movie. It's so stupid, like, to say, okay, this movie is not, which is why I think, like, which is where, like, the whole thing of being rigged comes into it. There are movies that, the movies that are nominated, people don't really talk about this, but the movies that are nominated usually have a considerable amount of campaign money behind oh, their nomination, you know? Yeah. That's why if you go to LA right now, like during Oscar season, you'll see so many billboards and posters for your consideration. Right. You know, there's so much money that goes into promoting the films for uh, an Oscar yeah. and why other films do not get nominated. It's not because the, the films aren't good. It's because of the fact that they didn't have a gigantic financial operation behind them yeah. of people being like, we're gonna put up posters, we're gonna put up billboards. They hand out, if you go to like LA parties, sometimes you get these like handbills, you know, you get these little leaflets <laughs> that say exactly. like, for your consideration, please consider 1917. And it's just like, oh God, like, so people then vote on those movies. They vote on movies yeah. you've seen everywhere for like last year. I think that If Beale Street Could Talk should have been nominated way more than it was. And it wasn't because they had no money in their campaign. They did right. not put any money for any of that campaigning. And they weren't nominated for anything. Not because it wasn't a brilliant movie. It was gorgeous. And I loved it, but yeah. it didn't have any of that money. So it's all about money. Hollywood is rigged. It's... <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, I totally agree with that because if you look at studios like A24, yeah. Focus Features, and then even some of the bigger, you know, Universal, Disney, etc., is when you get into those niche studios, they've got X amount of dollars to spend on something like what you're talking about. So they've got their 12 movies from that year. They're going to look at one of those and say, okay, which one is going to have the best chance of running through that Oscar system that you just described, mm -hmm. and then let's put our money there. Yeah. So they're already there's already a built-in bias before they even decide which one they're going to campaign right. and then how much money do they have versus disney versus netflix versus everybody else so yeah it's you're totally right i agree it's a rigged system and race is a huge part of that like it's changing the conversation a little bit like what do we do like how can we as individuals like what can we do to create opportunities to create change within that system what a great question. I, I think that people, what they've been doing so far is on the right track. I think that raising a fuss about it is the right thing. I, I, I know that people are always like, you know, the naysayers who are always like, why bring politics into art or filmmaking? Why does this have to be about race and all these other things? And it's just like nothing ever got accomplished by people just realizing that like something was unfair. Like right. it wasn't like in, in the 1840s that slave masters were just like, I think this is wrong, you guys. Yeah. I, I think I think slavery is a bad move, <laughs> you know? The country literally had to go to war. Yeah. And it still didn't really fix the problem. It just created a war. Right, you know, it's not like people in the 50s were like, I think Jim Crow is bad, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should stop doing this. Like that that was decades of legislation. Right. Uh, that was marches, that was protests. You know, that was a lot of hard work to get people oh, yeah. to acknowledge that kind of stuff. And I don't think that it's any different. I think that doing the hashtag put a lot of fire under people's feet right. to say that this is like a huge issue. I'm thinking of like Joaquin Phoenix recently at the BAFTAs, he made yeah. a speech about how, which I I feel kind of iffy about. People were very like, okay, yes, like good for him and stuff like that. And I'm of the mindset of being like, well, he can say that, but what's he going to do about it? You yeah. know, if his next film is another movie with like, because all of his other, well, most of his other films have been white directors, white writers, yeah. white co-stars. It's nice for him to go up on stage and say, we need more diversity. The BAFTAs did not nominate a single person of color this year. Which yeah, is... that was insane when the nominations came out wow. and everybody was like, what just happened? We, we were all asleep. Every yep. <laughs> every exactly. black person, every Asian yep. person, Hispanic person, we we took a long nap in exactly. 2019. <laughs> well, and the, it's one thing you said too is like, how much of an impact is he really going to have? Because yes, for like five minutes, he made a room of people very uncomfortable. Yeah. But is that all that's ever going to be? Right. Is he going to do more? Are the people that were in that room going to do more? Is anybody going to do more? So, so, but I do like the fact that he did take a step. Yeah. And maybe it does create an opportunity. So I think that's really where 
the conversation needs to go is what actions can anybody take, whether it's a Joaquin Phoenix or a Denzel Washington or an Isabella L. Price or, you know, what what does everybody do? And I, I just name dropped you right in the middle of Denzel Washington. <laughs> name How about that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but so, so it's I think that's the real thing that people need to look at is how do we move the conversation forward at this point? But he, he has so much power, you know, I think that a man of his statue, I think that he can co-produce one of the most like unsung heroes of diversity in filmmaking is actually Brad Pitt. We don't really have a lot of conversations about this. Like Brad Pitt is like the true ally out here because Brad Pitt has financed an incredible amount of films by black directors and black yeah. filmmakers. Oh my God. And people are always shocked when they see his name as a producer. They're like, where did that come from? He's just been doing it. He's just been doing the work. You know, yep. he has not been out here taking any of the, t the attention away. He's just been financing films by black people. Those films are incredible films. I mean, 12 Years a Slave, If Bill Street Could Talk, I think he did Widows. Like, he's just been out here putting his money where his mouth is. And that has made incredible, he has introduced so many incredible black filmmakers to a new level just by saying Brad Pitt produced this. Yep, and he exactly. has opened so many doors. And I and that's just something casually. I mean, Brad Pitt, what else is he doing? He's just looking good somewhere in Beverly Hills. <laughs> you know, like he had the time, he had the opportunity, he had the money, and he yep. just did it. And I think that Joaquin Phoenix can choose other films by other directors by other writers i think that he can introduce other writers and directors to producers yeah. i think that he can put some of his own capital behind those films that have already been made right. there's so many things that he could do just by saying joaquin phoenix is involved with this person right. i mean you can't act like there aren't people of color working every year tirelessly making films i mean everywhere not just in la every state there's a whole group of people of color making films and if they had the support of a walking phoenix behind them they could get to another level so there's so many things that they could do and we as the audience i don't think that going to go see every single movie by people of color is going to solve the issue that used to be the thing of being like we have to go see these movies or else they're never going to make these movies ever again but i think that asking more of white producers white directors and white writers and saying you can cast more diverse people you can get white writers or you can get people of color in the writer's room and you can diversify so many things behind the scenes. Yeah. I know that you need like a second AD. I know that you need <laughs> a cinematographer, somebody to do light, somebody to do sound. Why can't you yeah. hire diverse for that? They're out exactly. there. So and, you know, that's, that's one of the things that Joaquin Phoenix, that's the, the main thing that really caught my attention of what he said was he recognized there's a lack of uh, diversity on set. So that's what I want to see as the result of what's the next two, three movies that he's going to make. What does the set look like? Right. It's exactly like you're saying, all these different jobs that aren't necessarily the director or the star or the co-star. There's hundreds and hundreds of jobs, all the way to craft services and right. everything. Where can you hire minorities? Where can you hire women? There's so many opportunities. I really think you nailed it on the head. It's not necessarily box office dollars that's going to make a big difference. It can have an impact, but I really feel like you're example of Brad Pitt where he's taking his clout and his large amount of money 
and allowing that to speak for diversity and, and making it inclusive. And so that's where more people that have that ability you know, really need to step in into those roles and, and use him as an example. And so I guess going back to like, what can we do? I guess it's really just for our part is continuing this, these conversations, having these conversations. And, you know, box office does need to be a piece of that. And maybe that's all somebody can do. And I would say that's what people should do if that's all they can do. Yeah. I mean, I think that us having these conversations, having more, you know, my, my big thing, having more diverse critics, having yeah. more critics of color, more female critics, more queer critics, because that usually is like critics. I mean, first of all, everybody's a critic now. It takes <laughs> two brain cells to have a YouTube page where you <laughs> critique movies. Like exactly. that full offense because I also <laughs> <laughs> critique movies online and yeah. it literally takes me two brain cells to put put that stuff up and so be, now everybody's a critic you know like before right. it used to be this thing where it was like there were two white guys and they were on tv and they made the decisions <laughs> about movies exactly. and we all they trusted the them yeah, yeah. We, we all trusted Siskel and Ebert those were the only two people that were allowed to have feelings about movies <laughs> and we all listened to what they had to say too That's everybody it. trusted their opinion but, yeah no you're right I mean you and I are critics like you just talked mm -hmm. about you know there's a, organizations everywhere there's mm -hmm. YouTube channels everywhere there's websites and podcasts it's, it's everywhere like everybody. everybody knows somebody who's got some if not like an official designation as a critic they at yeah. least have an opinion yeah you know, every, and, everybody i follow people who just tweet about movies like yeah, that's not exactly. a real thing <laughs> like yeah. you know and they're just like hot film twitter takes and i'm just exactly. like i always come back and so i think that as long as we're having these kinds of conversations and you know not doing the thing where people separate and they say you know we can't make these films about politics everything is political right. i mean you know we're all participating in a society and everything is political and um, having these kinds of conversations and if you do get the opportunity to talk to filmmakers to ask them tough questions you know to right. ask them who why have you never worked with a woman before you know and things like that and once you have those initial conversations and you introduce those things into people's mindsets then they can't stop asking those then they will the people will look at it and be like wow like actually these movies are super white. And um, <laughs> I was just talking to my friend about this because I was like, I was like talking about Wes Anderson. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Exhibit A, you're on <laughs> I was talking to my friend and I was like, oh, Wes Anderson's coming out with a new movie. And they were like, what happened to the Isabella of 2019? That was like, we're only going to go see movies with people of color. <laughs> we're only seeing movies with people of color. We're only giving right. people of color our money. And, and yet at the same time, I'm like, God, I can't wait for that new Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> I love it. His movies are white as hell, and I eat that stuff. Oh, I love his movies so much. His uh, his movies are so imaginative and stylized. I mean, I can definitely see where that creative energy is what you would gravitate right, to yeah. rather than just the demographics and stuff like that. Because, I mean, there, there definitely is a place for that, for, you know, somebody who's a certain ethnic origin to see all kinds of different types of films, whether they're made by white people, black people, Asians. And then same thing, as you go around those different ethnic groups, everybody should be exposed to all of it. It shouldn't just be like Asian people only watching movies from South Korea and China. Yeah. They should also be watching Wes Anderson and the whole spectrum. No, I, I like the fact that you're kind of 
willing to transform your own beliefs and what you're willing to do out there and where you're spending your dollars. So yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a lot of the reason, like you're talking about having the conversations. That's the main reason why I wanted to kick off this diversity in film podcast series is to really see what everybody's thoughts are out there and have those conversations. And maybe we can get the ball rolling and really move something forward. What's going on in your world right now? So basically what I do, so Nocturnal Emissions, the live show is still going to be going on. And I have a bunch of kind of the same way that you are scheduling up new people to talk to you for, I mean, this feels kind of like a series of conversations yes. and not just sort of one-offs. And so I've been doing the kind of the same thing. I release the podcast every other Tuesday and there are more episodes with more people. My whole purpose of doing the podcast is to get more diverse voices in horror and fantasy films and science fiction to have more of a diverse conversation because surprise, a lot of the podcasts that I was listening to about horror and sci-fi just a bunch of white dudes. Um, <laughs> no, no. I know, it's shocking. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, if I listen to one more, like, Dan, Mike, and Steve <laughs> conversation about yeah. movies, I'm going to I'm gonna die. And so I wanted to get my diverse group of friends together and other people who make films and talk about these movies. And so that's going on. We're still going to be doing Nocturnal Missions got renewed for another year. So awesome. we'll still be doing live shows. You have a year, you have 365 days to catch a show, Mark. <laughs> nice. It's once a month. That's <laughs> all it I'm is. There. I will be there. <laughs> and so we'll still be doing that. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm still doing the YouTube channel as well, which is more of like true crime stuff. And the I'm still writing about films constantly. My writing, I don't do reviews. My, my pieces are more of like deep, deep dives about certain themes and topics and horror and mm -hmm. not in just horror movies but in movies in general and so those are more essay style deep dives which take me too long to write <laughs> no, I really like that you do those though because they're very insightful I think I've used that word to describe you a few different times <laughs> but you know they're they're really worth reading because you do go really deep into the context and the structure of everything no I like the fact that you do those now I know you have your website is that nocturnalemissions.com no it's just isabellalprice.com oh it is gotcha okay and then nocturnal emissions is part of that people want to go to isabellalprice.com and that's kind of the gateway to everything that you do right Yep. Okay, and then I'm going to have all of that linked on the website page for this podcast. So everybody listening, go back to the page and look at all the links and explore the world of Isabella L. Price. But as we wrap this up. Oh, yeah. But it's awesome. It's amazing. Thank you for being here. Is there anything else you want to add to wrap things up? Vote for everybody black in the words piece array. <laughs> there we go. Yep, absolutely. Thank you again. And everybody, this is Mark Morin with Isabella L. Price. This is the 206.com podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you. One more time, thank you to Isabella L. Price for being part of the show. That conversation was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed listening in, and I hope you will enjoy the next special guest on the podcast series. Episode 6 of the 206.com Diversity in Film podcast series will be released on Monday, June 8th at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The episode will feature world-renowned Disney film producer, director, and artist Mr. Don Hahn. In Disney circles, this man is a filmmaking legend and has had a hand in creating classic movies like Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, The Little Mermaid, 
and Maleficent, just to name a few. Make sure to mark your calendar and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the episodes in this series. Also, if you've missed any of the previous episodes, you can find them on 206.com and through most major podcast outlets. As always, thank you for listening to the 206.com Diversity in Film podcast series.